people sort of they think their doctor can fix everything. But the more I practice, the longer I practice, the more I realize like so much of it is in your hands. Really, some of the most important things about health are you're directly in control of and, and I'm not, you know, which I think ultimately is kind of good news for patients. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Well, 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 welcome to episode number 153. Yes, 153, and it's been six years to this date that I've been doing this podcast. It's definitely a labor of love, and I enjoy the interviews very much, and I enjoy putting this information out there for all to listen to, because... That's the only reason I've got to do it. And I love it. And so we're going to keep going. On this episode, I have Dr. Craig Boron. He's an MD and a practicing physician and a board-certified internist. He works as a hospitalist at Abbott Northwest Hospital in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he helps train resident physicians in the a and W Internal Medicine Residency Program. He also works with his first-year medical students at the University of Minnesota Medical School. His writing has appeared in the Washington Post, Slate, Huffington Post, Kevin M.D., Forbes, etc., etc., etc. He is a member of the Association of Healthcare Journalists and a fellow of the. American College of Physicians. You can visit him at craigbaronmd.com. That's Craig, B-O-W-R-O-N-M-D.com. And this episode, we are going to be talking about his amazing book called Man Overboard, a medical lifeline for the aging male. And the reason I am putting this out there Today is before the Thanksgiving holiday. His great would make a great Christmas present for you ladies out there for the man in your life. His book, Man Overboard, A Medical Lifeline for the Aging Male, is humorous, but yet spot on in so many ways about the aging male and the funny things that happen as we age, like the Hairs on your ears grow out longer than the hairs on your head. At this age, we start to get hair and growing in places that it's not supposed to grow and stops growing in places it's supposed to grow. So it's kind of humorous and we cover a lot in this episode. So hang on tight, buckle your seatbelts, and please rate and review my show. It means the world to me. And ladies, like I said, this is a great Christmas present for the man in your life. Man Overboard, a medical lifeline for the aging male. Enjoy the show and happy Thanksgiving. 
Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach this afternoon, Dr. Craig Baran. Yeah. And I'm going to call you Dr. Craig. Or that Craig. Works. Or Craig. Yeah. How are you today? I'm doing good. Good. It's a beautiful, beautiful fall day here up in the America's North Coast. Yes. How's it going up there? Good? Is it getting chilly? Yeah, it's uh we've um we've had some well we've had some frost, so the tomatoes just went crunch. Okay. That's the end of them. Which um <laughs> you want to start off with an old guy's story? I'm pulling the tomatoes, the dead tomatoes, the plants right. out, you know. And I, I'm pulling a tomato cage up. Just a tomato cage time. I'm pulling a tomato cage out of the ground. But I was standing just this is yesterday, but I'm it was just in the kind of right thing and <laughs> it's just like one of those moments you just like i've been doing all kinds of physical stuff during the week you know lifting right. heavier weights and i got i got nailed by a tomato cage I okay. <laughs> well to your story though and to your book and we're going to dive into your book but i want to have some questions for you but you're the very first coincidentally with a tomato cage in your back or your what'd you pull a muscle somewhere? Yeah, just my back. You know, yeah. just, and I'm better today, but it was just like, gee, many Christmas. And, and your first thing was throw off the shackles of youth. I reached for the stars and pulled the hip flexor. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand with your book. Yeah. It, it, uh, a friend of mine was talking about how um, he pulled into a parking garage and, and went slightly, drove slightly past the card swiper. So we had to reach back, you know, to, to swipe his card. Three weeks. Oh my goodness! You know, oh my goodness. So there is this kind of, uh, you know, like what did I do to make it feel that way? Right. Actually, there's a Blues Brothers song like that. Yeah, there is. What did I say to make you man this time, right. <laughs> All right. Before we dive into your amazing book called "Man Overboard: A Medical Lifeline for the Aging Male." Who is Dr. Craig, and what was your catalyst to be in, into becoming an internist, or I like to call it, or Dr. Pompa actually calls it this, pain to purpose. So everybody in this field that we're in, or medical, or who, all of us who want to help other people get healthy, or stay healthy, or stay young, have a, have a past or a pain to purpose. Mine was being very overweight and wanted to fix it without medications. Your, what was your catalyst to becoming a physician or an internist? So uh, I grew up in a, you know, a, a small town on the very edge of suburban Chicago. It wasn't part of the suburbs, but eventually by college, it got swallowed. Okay. My dad was a um, boiler man in the Navy. My mom, um, she started college, but then like quit after a year because she thought she wanted to be a mom. So nobody had really been to you know, I was good at school. Nobody in my family had been, had been to college. My sister was the first ahead of me. So there wasn't, um, there wasn't really kind of a path. We were really blessed with good health. Um, I had a grandma who lived 101, another grandpa lived to 95, another one 92. So we didn't, we were very fortunate. So the, I don't have a story where, you know, I was brought into medicine by that. But I always loved the out of doors. I love being up north. I, I went fishing in Canada with my dad. We had friends that lived in northern Minnesota. I love nature. I love biology. Had a couple of really good biology teachers. So I always thought that I wanted to be, I thought, I want to be a small town doctor. 
I love small town. I love rural people. I love rural landscapes. Um, and they need doctors, you know? And um, so that's kind of one. That's what I kind of set my path on doing. Uh, I went to medical school. Uh, I moved in Illinois. I moved north to Minnesota. Um, I, I started, I completed my residency training. Uh, by that time, I just got married. My wife and I started looking at small towns to work in. And then um, we were we were due with our first child. Um, our uh, and her in laws had moved, lived in a small town, and then moved back to the Twin Cities. So I just said, "Well, you know, dream deferred. Let's just let's wait it out here." And so, uh, thirty five years later, I'm still working at a gigantic hospital in downtown Minneapolis, okay. which proves that life is living us uh, and not the reverse. Yeah, uh, I'm grateful. I don't. I, I, I hear your pain to purpose thing. I, I wish I had a more. Uh, That's okay. I didn't. I, I didn't come through it through a pain route. That's how I kind of came into it. Yeah. It was more of a desire. Yeah, yeah, and I just. Um, I love trying to figure out people's problems. You know, we get we're what's called a tertiary hospital, a high complexity hospital, and people oftentimes patients get sent to us from all over the region because they have problems they haven't been able to figure out. Not. Not by any fault of their own. Oftentimes, it's because we just have more complicated text, uh, testing and procedures, or we have more deep specialists. So I enjoy doing that. But I also enjoy the deep honor of meeting people from all walks of life. I, I just think that it's, it's like an incredibly deep honor to take care of. It's interesting. Sometimes, you know, I, I always think you can be highly educated or highly intelligent. Some people are both. Some people are neither. Some people are a mix. I just, but some of my favorite people are rural folks who, you know, aren't highly educated, but are highly intelligent, you know, and have this incredible wisdom. Um, and um, yeah. Huh. Good for That's you. Good yeah. for you. Well, good. I'm glad you made that path and I'm glad you wrote this book because uh, it's an amazing, I read a lot of books as we, talked before we got on here uh and this one really was a good one for me to read and not only was it was easy read but it's also speaks a lot of truths into the aging male and uh you know i loved the prologue Right off the bat, I mean, the book is written very well. It has, it has a lot of comedy, or it, it you chuckle a lot reading this book, which helps because some books that like written like into this manner are very boring and dry. <laughs> so uh, I got to read the prologue because it, it's really funny. It says, "Look at you! Your soul patch has migrated to your earlobes." Anything larger than a saltine after 8 p.m. gives you heartburn deep into the twilight hours. Emptying your bladder is no longer like it, no longer like one of the snappy station breaks on TV, but more like a 60-second commercial complete with celebrity spokesperson and theme music. <laughs> a bad night of sleep makes you feel like you finished an Ironman triathlon. And for heaven's sakes, you tore your Achilles. Heel or Achilles tendon just walking the dog. 
<laughs> and how true is that? I mean, I'm an aging male, so I'm 63. So yeah. I'm past the middle age point. Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, it depends. But I, I, I can relate to a lot of that. But I've also been moving my body for quite some time. So I love the book. And I think, you know, I, I'm really glad we're doing this right now because I think for the listeners out there and a lot of my female listeners, this is a great book to grab for their husband for Christmas if they want a book for them to read because it's it's very good read and there's a lot of truth in here. That, um, you're talking about the prostate issue? I was at, I was at uh, uh, intermission at a play and the men's bathroom was all the way down the basement. Like, and there was one of them. And you know, there's usually not a line for the men's, right. men's bathroom. But there was a huge one. And it wrapped around this small room and came back. And then most of it was older guys, you know. But in the middle of it was this younger guy. And he just says, out, out of the blue, he goes like, wow, the line is really trickling, trickling along. <laughs> and all the guys like, don't say trickling. <laughs> don't that's, say- the last, that's the last word that any of these guys with teeth prostate, don't say the word trickling. Yeah. Well, we're in line because there's a lot of there's too much trickling going on, and he, you know, he just all these guys just kind of leaked that. I'm like, don't say that word. So yeah, we, it's a, you know, what what can you do? You can either laugh about it, right? You know, and just and see it for what it is, uh, uh, or you can I joke about testosterone poisoning, just try and you know just straight up denial, or you can just embrace it for what it is, and, right? And, you know, and that you're and that you're lucky enough to grow old. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just went, I mean, yeah. I mean, I see some of my high school friends that have already passed, you know, and we haven't even hit the 50 year mark, yeah. you know, and it's, it's sad because it's, you know, it is what it is. And, and we all grow different age differently and we all do different things as we age. But one question I have for you, because you're an internal medicine specialist and practiced at the hospital. So why did you decide to write this book on the aging male? What was your catalyst behind that part? Yeah, well, um, part of it was for me. Okay. Uh, you know, honestly, just for myself, just kind of like, all right. Because uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but part of, a, part of aging, I think, is this question of, is this the new normal? You know? What I'm experiencing now, is this the new normal? Because if it is, okay, I can get used to that. And you don't want to be one of, the, you don't want to be one of these people. And this is, this is the same for me. Like, I don't want to be, I got a doctor, but I don't want to be running into him every time that I don't feel right, you know? And, but I don't want to, also, I don't want to ignore things. I don't want to be the person who just like, you didn't see the tumor fungating out of your belly button, you know? I'm like, well, I thought it was just a war, you know? I, so part of it was just for me. To try to answer this question, I'm like, oh, what's how does this thing really go? You know, what are the things that I should be thinking about? Uh, what is what is normal? What is not normal? Um, women do this. I, 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 in a query I wrote this recently, is that women tend to when it comes to personal health, women tend to be proactive, right? Right. Uh, my my wife, something is not right. They get on the horn. They talk to their talk to their friends. Like this is going on. They're like, hey, I haven't had that, but Amy's had that. Talk to Amy. Talk to Amy. You know. They, they 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 gather up the forces. They run the story by, and if they don't like what they get, then they go see the doctor, and it's not a big deal. Whereas we men tend to be more conactive, you know, not proactive but conactive. You know, we sort of dismiss stuff, and 
So to answer your question, part of it was uh, I wanted to write it for myself. Part of it is I do enjoy, I've always tried to write with a little bit of uh, humor, you know, uh, because a spoonful of high fructose corn syrup makes the medicine go down, as they say. Um, and honestly, you know, men, we just kind of lend, an aging male lends itself to satire in a way that I don't think women do quite so much. Because we had this, um, you ever watch any Monty Python? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, so the classic, when he meets the Black Knight. I mean, <laughs> that's just testosterone poison. You know what I mean? Right. That's just like, you know, I'm, so he meets this, he meets Sir Lancelot or whatever, meets this guy in heavy black armor and he wants to duel. He said, you can't go by me without dueling. And so they start fighting and he cuts the Black Knight's leg, leg off and he just says, it's a flesh, you know, keep fighting. And then, and then he cuts off the other leg, you know, and um, even with legless, he says, come on, you sissy, I'll fight you. And and so there's a, to me, there's a kind of a natural comedy about uh, the aging male because we don't handle it as it with such dignity and grace as women do. And so, yeah. So kind of a combination of things. Well, so from a doctor's point of view, what do you, what are the top five things you see as an aging male that you see wrong as a doc from your point of view? Yeah. So the big things are, you know, uh, number one, it is, it sounds pat, but smoking. I mean, you know, I tell patients this and I don't have hard statistics, but I said like, you know, if you had to choose between ever seeing another doctor, seeing a doctor ever again and not smoking, I would choose not smoking. I just think that can do, you can do more for yourself. You know, then an annual visit. If you keep smoking, you get an annual visit the rest of your life. It's going to be shorter, you know, or right. at least a hell of a lot more complicated. Right. We might keep you alive through all that smoking, but it's going to get a lot complicated. And things will happen that you do not like. Um, or you can just quit smoking. You can really do more for yourself. Uh, being overweight. You know, I mean, besides smoking, overweight is the driver of all the big uh, cardiovascular stuff. It's driving diabetes. Is driving high blood pressure, which drives kidney disease, and it drive, you know a driver of atherosclerosis. It's a uh, it's associated obesity is associated with almost higher risk of almost every cancer we can think of. You know that's not to say that that is easy, right. but but you know it's like how are we meant to live? You know, and uh, you're not a bad person. I'm not saying I'm not coming. I'm not talking about your extra weight as a cosmetic issue. It's a health issue. It's just what it is. You know. And then I'd say the third third would be exercise. It is, you do not understand the physiology yet, but you can say this, it is move it or lose it. Move it or lose it. You know, it is, and studies keep coming, show, keep coming showing up, you know, people who've, even in the, I was reading a study recently, I think seniors in the nursing home, they put them on an exercise regimen and watch their kidney function. People on an exercise regimen, their kidney function improved. Why would their kidneys from why would their kidneys get better? You don't walk with your kidneys. You don't do pull-ups with your kidneys. Why would your kidneys get better? You know, it's but there it is. I was listening to a national expert on uh, aging being interviewed, and it was a, a fascinating and long-winded conversation. But in the middle of it, she just kind of says, like, listen, you know, I just gotta say again, people ask me, what do you take? What do you do? What do you what's your supplement? So and she says, like, exercise. He says, you know, it's the one thing that's 
it has a stronger effect than anything we've ever tested, you know, and we don't have any idea why, but exercise, you know, so those are, I think are the real big three things I put personally, I put nutrition in it. I've got a, a chapter on nutrition, but it, I kind of boil it down to like, it's, it's carbs. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, what's the factory settings for human beings? You know, this is not, when you go to those caves in France, you know, our primitive for sketching out things like they weren't sketching out soda, French fries, pizza, you know, and, and for most of H. sapiens life, our protein sources ran away. We had to chase them down, you know, um, our, our, we didn't have simple sugars, maybe in some fruits, you know, but we didn't get simple sugars. There were very few simple carbohydrates, you know, Twinkies did not, were not invented until the fifties, whatever. So, um, you know, that's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but I'd say nutrition, avoiding, avoiding sugars and simple carbs. And then kind of alcohol in moderation, or I would say, don't use alcohol as medicine. Don't, you know, if you like a glass of wine or, you know, whiskey sour, sure. But it's not, don't think of it as medicine. It's not medicine. You know, it's something to enjoy. Where do you think think stress fits in all those? Ooh, honestly, nowadays, mm, maybe fourth. Yeah. Smoking, obesity, inactivity. But you can say like, like, that, that that inactivity or the, the exercise is a huge antidote to stress. Right. You know, I don't know. I, you know, I work, I work for a, a, a corporate system, and it's been a good relationship, and I and I like working for them. And they um, have a lot of you know they're very aware, aware of our burnout issues. You know, and the burnout issues are not unique to healthcare. No, no. But we but COVID put an extra burden on us for obvious reasons, and they try. No, they try very desperately to help us with burnout issues, but um, in all due respect, most of it's uh, things to do on the hamster wheel. Mm. You know, we're not going to slow the hamster wheel down. You can't slow the hamster wheel down. But here's three positive thoughts you can have while you're spinning on the hamster wheel, you know. So absolutely, and in a, in a, um, I think my, my dad was of a vintage, you know, that kind of like, he would have poo-pooed that, you know, like, ah, stress, you know. Right. Ooh, stress. It's stressful to have a job, isn't it? You know, it's stressful to have to, you know, make money. It's He would sort of poke fun at that. Right. But I think there's lots of good science to say that this life we have is filled with leisure, and uh, but it is very stressful and in, some, and in that way unnatural right. and very unhealthy. I think people don't take enough time for themselves, the self-care end of that. Because, I mean, I even reached that. I get burned out. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah. You know, but I have to, I, I, I have to make time. I, my time happens to be at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning because I, it's peaceful and I'm, it's uninterrupted by the, by the cell phone, by the pagers or the, you know, the, Text messages and so at five five thirty five or I wake up at four thirty, so at five four thirty to five thirty or six o'clock, it's just my time, and it's peaceful for me because I get to see the sunrise, I get to hear the birds wake up, I sit on my patio, and I just enjoy my time, and that's where that's that's my time without interruption. So I, I uh, 
I love mornings. I'm a, I'm a morning person, but one thing, like, and there's, I cannot exercise in the morning. It yeah. I'm just wasted. I'm just wasted. Which are, are you talking about exercising or just relaxing? I know. Of, I relax and then I go to work out at 630. Yeah. I, good for you. I, I have to do my, mine works for me like after work. Yeah. It's a good See, time. I can't do it too late, but after work is good for me. When I do 630, 530 at night, and then I'm so wound up that I can't fall asleep. Yeah. So if I go early and get out of the way when I come home, and then I can do what I got to do here, and then I can go to sleep at a re- reasonable hour and sleep well. So, yeah. and I think sleep's a big one is in, in, in curtailing all disease as well. Yes. So you think about it, like I wrote a little bit about that. I mean, I had there's a yeah. chapter on it, but but I, I mentioned a little bit. Like, if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, committing us to Putting us in a vulnerable, highly vulnerable state, you know, like for eight hours, right. you know, that's, there must be some big physiological payoff. It must be really important right. because, you know, again, you know, particularly before we, when we were living in a not such sophisticated manner, you know, again, sleeping eight hours at night is a dangerous kind of deal. It's very dangerous. You know? Um, so there's got to be there had to be some some uh, biological payoffs and again the more we, the more we I, part of it is you can't sell sleep so there's not a lot of research you know the research lags because like how do you sell you know without a potion or a pill I mean there are but you know like, it's so interesting to me in, in medicine some of these things that are so critical like nutrition you know sleep activity uh, if there ain't if there ain't a lot of money at the end of the rainbow, they've they've been we've been slow to get research on them. Right. It's kind of sad. Well, let's dive into the book because I wanted to get those things out of the way. And one thing you didn't waste any time in writing this book and jumped right into andropause. <laughs> so I was open the book. And I think I think I'm going to start reading about cardiovascular. I think I'm going to start reading about prostate. Liver, kidneys, no, andropause is the first chapter on the book. So, which is very near and dear to my heart since I'm 63 and I happen to work at a hormone replacement therapy clinic. So, why did you choose to start right off the bat with andropause? Well, actually, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know where it was in the original draft, uh, but when I went through uh, with an, my editor, he kind of said, like, um, he wanted to move. He thought the risk of going with the, the the real heavies, you know, let's do, let's, hey, welcome to my book. Let's talk about cancer. Right. Um, you know, he just said, like, I don't think that's kind of the, I, I like all this stuff. I love that stuff. It's good. But I think it's got to go later. Let's get people, let's start a little, you know, a little more lighter, a little more levity, and then move into, move into things. So, um, and I had written a couple of pieces for Slate magazine. Um, on andropause and and for the reasons i think you'd find in the chapter you know there's a lot of reasons to laugh about how andropause has been um portrayed (laughs) you know uh uh, just just the the satirical commercials that we all lived through whether it was for ed drugs you know or uh androgel i mean i found them very, very entertaining but just you know kind of roll your eyes like oh god you know is that what we're like you know is that us you know so if, to answer your question, I think we just started with that because, like, 
you know, it's it's an easy in, um, kind of a warm up, a few warm up laps, if you will. It's not it's not uncomplicated, as you know. I mean, right. it's quite complicated, and I think um, part of the the book is um, it's not simple, no. but um, I also I think part of the problem, like when I, even even myself, when I've read things that were expertly written by academics, a lot of academics uh, physicians. They spend a lot of their time writing grant proposals, you know, and not talking to patients. And uh, I think sometimes if you read an academic piece about andropause, you know, they're, they're, they're very worried about giving an airtight argument, an explanation for everything. Because that's academia, you know, right. it's defend yourself. But when you read that stuff at the end, you kind of go like, uh, uh, what is it about? <laughs> you know, so I, I wanted to write. Something that, like, hey, you know, this testosterone stuff is complicated. Andropause is complicated. We've got quizzes and lab tests and stuff like that. Um, but it's 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 swampy. Right. It doesn't very... mean it's, it, it doesn't mean that it can't work for some people. I just just like for instance, when there's conversations about immigration, I just think like, can we just start by all confessing like this is really complicated? You know, before we tear each other apart, can we just right. Start by saying, like, it's kind of complicated, you know, before we start pointing fingers. And so I feel like, hey, andropause, you know, it's, it's not what women, you know, what women feel. It's not, it's not menopause, you know, um, but it's there, you know, it's less dramatic. Or let's say it's slower. Right. Which makes it less dramatic, but it's undoubtedly there. We all know it's there. Testosterone levels fall as we get older. Is that a mistake that we can fix and should fix? Or is it, you know, how we're genetically programmed and it's really protecting ourselves from testosterone? You know, like, we don't know. You know, we don't yeah, know. It's, it, it, to your point, it's very difficult and it's very tricky. And it's, a, it's always, uh, from my picture, it's, you're always fine-tuning it, you know. Like, if the, you know, but we're going to get into that a little bit if, we, if, you know. But what I got a question for you as a conventional doctor. Uh, conventional ranges on testosterone, I, I looked yesterday, were 250 to 1,100 nanograms per deciliter. I go by optimal ranges when I'm doing hormone replacement therapy or, or almost anything I go by optimal ranges, which is 600 to 900 nanograms per deciliter and opt for testosterone total. But testosterone, let's be honest, testosterone total is not just testosterone. It is a sex hormone. It is a measurement of, of testosterone is bound to serum proteins in an unbound form of free testosterone. So there's two different, there's a couple different things there that you're looking at when you look at total testosterone. I think, my personally, I think free testosterone is the best way to measure testosterone with SHBG. Sex binding hormone yes, glottin. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, again, what I, what I try to get at that thing is like anytime you, anytime you see an a normal a normal range for two fifty to eleven hundred. You got to say like somebody doesn't really know, right? You know, somebody does. It's just like they said like you know the um, the speed limit here is seventy five to three hundred and fifty, right? <laughs> just go like somebody somebody's not really thought through that. Which again, I tell you, just, I, I want the reader to know. I don't know where you draw the line. I know when they did the national T trials, they said less than two seventy five. Is that the right number? This is even that range you described is for 
It's for all men of all ages, right? right. It's not even age dependent. When we when we know that testosterone drops, you know, peaks at late twenties, early thirties, and then drops one to two percent a year, and yet we use the same age range. And and to your point, this this sex hormone binding, binding globulin that level goes up as we age. Is it you know that's that's normal, right? And is it supposed to bind up more testosterone? Is it supposed to save us from that? Is that a, is that a mistake, or is that factory settings? You know, um, it's complicated. It is complicated. So, so yeah. So I don't think when people people say like, "Hey, you know, call in and get my little blue pill," you know, <laughs> just like, well, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, it's very complicated. And to your point, it, it, it sadly it's happening at a younger age, yeah. low testosterone. I mean, I see, I see twenty-four-year-old men come in with testosterone levels of two total testosterone of two sixty to two seventy, and it's just like, okay, so let's talk about that. What do you? I, I attribute it to toxins, laziness, electronic devices, stress, diet, and not moving your body. You know, so what? It, Let's go there yeah. first. I mean, because testosterone, optim- honestly, you can increase testosterone naturally. But it's a lot of damn work. Yeah. Well, I, 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 do, I do agree. I think, I mean, there's evidence, I think, that stress, uh, inactivity, we know for sure that exercise increases people's testosterone level and that um, obesity decreases it. And like we talked about before, I mean, those are, those are huge things. I think a lot of people are like, you know, I can't do that, but I can take the pill. And, um, you know, it might, it might sound odd here coming from a, a, a doctor, but like, boy, I don't like pills. There ain't nothing like the real thing, you know. Um, and if your testosterone is low because you're not, you're not living like the real thing, that, I think you should fix that first. You know, uh, I don't know as much about, I don't, I don't know much about the, uh, Electronic devices, I do think I, there's this uh, interesting thing, I, I call it something for nothing science. So I think people, you know, this idea that, you know, that you can, that, that electronic devices emit certain energy waves, you know, but they don't do anything. They're harmless. I don't think it's, you know, that doesn't really, that's kind of something for nothing science. You know, just like, I don't think you need to know a lot about climate change. You don't need to know a lot about climate change. But you could say, like, hey, if we put 500 gigatons of CO2 in the atmosphere, nothing will happen. I mean, that's not, you know, that's something for nothing science. That's not kind of how the world works. You know, usually, um, you know, and this, even, even this idea that, like, we can, you know, we, we can spray Roundup on the plants. And it does, it, it, you know, it hurts weeds and stuff. But if we ingest it, it doesn't hurt us. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of something for nothing science. Um, it's been a while. I remember looking up, I should do this again, but one time I looked up on the, I looked at the periodic table of elements and I looked up like which one of them, which, how many of those do we actually need to live? You know, like literally that we, those are what we need. And it's not that many. No. And then you look what's actually in us. You know, it's a lot. The low T test. And how many people are actually still using that questionnaire? 
for low T. And then you get into the the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into the into the 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 pill. I mean Cialis, Viagra, you know, and it just it's it's funny. It's really funny because you know, low T is not something to be joking about because it you know it causes a lot of harm in our bodies. And not only that, but it you know, I see guys that have come in with low T and I we treat them and I can I watch them as they grow. You know, they come in every we come have them come back for test every, you know, first we do 10 week labs and then we come back and so we're always measuring them and tweaking them. And it's nice to see their their demeanor change and their and that 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 pop belly start to drop off and they they have a more of a more of a they walk in the door more confident. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's cool to see in my from my eyes to watch them yeah. change the evolution of that. Yeah. So and I get the sense that you're, you know, obviously I don't people don't get hospitalized for low T. So I don't have a direct relationship okay. with those people like you. And I certainly don't it's not like you're seeing some pretty young guys with low T. And I think that's 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 a lot different than, you know, the old like, guys. That's old guys. I think the low T trials were, I think um, they, these are guys in their I think age, average age was 72. Right. You know, so it's, we're talking about a different, in some ways, different groups. Right. Right. I love the sex on the brain part. Is that's <laughs> That was fun. It's all good. I mean, it's all, it's all humorous. It's all, it, and, but you're, to your point, we were talking earlier before you wrote this. Not as a medical book, but more of like, hey, this is, I'll let you explain it. Because when we were talking before the show, and I wish I would have had it recorded, but we were talking about how this book came about. And you were talking about that you, your intentions of writing the book wasn't because it's a medical journal or yeah. you didn't yeah, want well, to make I, it I just, heavy. Yeah, I, th- I think that... Um... I think that people generally speak, oftentimes medical information is just, it's written kind of in a scary way, right? That's where, that what right. you're, that conversation, right, yeah, right. it's written in a scary way. And, and because like, like all media, they want you to pay attention, you know? And, and so the way they get you hooked is by saying something like, you know, um, every year, um, 45,000 people die of halitosis, you know, that's the first sentence. And you kind of lean in and go like, oh my God, you know? 45,000 people from bad breath, you know, and it's like they want to get you hooked or, you know, Tom was a healthy 63 year old until he saw blood on his toothbrush, you know, and then it gets, you know, blah, 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 you know, they, they, so they, they make these things serious in one because they want you to read on. I think that, um, you know, health is serious. And so I, I, there's some really great health journalists out there. Um, they do great work. Um, but because they're not a, Physician, you know, there's no room for jokes, if you will, no room for levity. You know, they just it's, they got to be serious. And uh, part of the reason I started writing was just because I, I I grew up, uh, you know, we we weren't really a literate family. Uh, we got a, a local newspaper and a Reader's Digest on the toilet. You know, I mean that's yeah. what we had. You know, and I, I I started reading Dave Barry when I was a kid. This humorist from the Miami Herald and. Yeah, I, I read all of his stuff. 
And the, and I love Dave, Dave Barry. And, but the funny thing is, you read a Dave Barry column, and you don't learn anything. But it's still worth it's still worth doing. Right. And, I, and I, so I started writing because I think, well, why couldn't you know? Why couldn't I write seriously about health, but still have fun? Right. Just be like and and dispense with all the uh, higher than thou. I'm your doctor. You know, I'm in the white coat. You're in the paper gown. You know, I just again there was a there was a healthy healthy skepticism in my family about educated people. Um, to overeducated people, right? Uh, and I still have some of that, you know. So I just, and I also, I would read, I would read stuff, you know, medical stuff, and then I'd be in, a, particularly when I was in training, I'd be with another doctor and see, like, well, that's not how we talk to patients, you know. We, we don't talk to patients like that. We talk to them just like, hey, Tom, what's going on with you? You know, I just talked to you like a person, and you talked to, you know. So I, I wanted to write something that was. Far more approachable, could even be funny at times. Um, you know, I wrote a piece on hemorrhoids one time, and a, a colorectal surgeon who I know at the hospital, he just said, like, I didn't think an internist could know that much. And I was laughing, but it was it was all accurate. You know, he said, You got it right. I mean, you know, that's how that that was a piece on hemorrhoids. I wrote a whole column on urine one time. Just like, could I write a could I write a thousand words on piss? That was it. That would be interesting, right? That would be interesting to read and educational, just for the challenge of it. So, I think I've always kind of like um, again, like I, I think the title to my 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 website is uh, "Medical Information." You don't have to be, you don't have to be sick to read, right? Yeah, I'll put you the know, link for your website in the show notes because it is a good website. Which is just kind of a double pun, you know? Like, right. You don't have to be, right? You know, and 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 the the, the front of my book has a. It has a uh, ring buoy on it, but the ring buoy has a drink holder, you know, which is to say, and I, I kind of insisted on that because I like, you know, it's a, hey, we're going to be, we'll get to some serious stuff, but, you know, so we're going to have try to have a good time. On andropause, what are your thoughts on, andro- on low T? What are your thoughts on hormone replacement therapy? And what are your thoughts on how we address low T? Well, I think it's, uh, so, like, I think was the androgel said to described as it. Uh, oh, I think the theme of androgel was step into the shadows. Androgel is a, a topical gel you can, you know, use to replace testosterone. And my point was that hey, it's it is shadowy. If you use, you know, uh, things like the low T quiz, which they were pumping, like a lot of these things are very ubiquitous. A lot of these, a lot of the, the symptoms of growing old are what are on the low T quiz. Um, so it's it's complicated. We don't know, and the hormones are complicated. We measure hormone levels which are out of the bloodstream, but those hormones, in order to, they don't work in the bloodstream. They have to be offloaded, uh, offloaded of the protein that's curing them. They have to go find a receptor. They have to bind that receptor, go inside this inside the cell, and then activate the DNA and the RNA in order out to carry out. And and so we only that's all we know. We're we're coming to the outside. You know, we don't know what's happening on the inside. As we get older, are we downregulating those receptors for testosterone, or both on the outside of the cell and the inside of the cell? Um, that when it comes to measuring it, we don't even you know what we the range we use as normal is ridiculously wide. It's the same for 
the the age the the normal testosterone range is the same for a seventy year old as it is a thirty. Um, so, and and there's probably the best evidence we have clinical evidence. So, you know, big studies is this low T trial that finished a couple of years. It did improve some things. It, 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 there were some modest improvements in people's sex. Again, these are guys who were in their seventies, right? You know, early seventies. Right, right. So you you have to keep that in mind. You know, it made some modest improvements in the. Uh, in their endurance, modest improvements in um, um, their libido, um, less so in erections, some mood and you know some mood things. So there was some benefits. It did seem to um, increase the rate of atherosclerosis, and that is scarring in the arteries. I think these studies only went on for years. So was that meaningful or not? These people are in their seventies. You know, um, there's still this question of. Could hormone replacement increase the risk of prostate cancer? I don't think we have any evidence that it definitively does. Uh, I don't think it so, have. so to me, it was to me what I was trying to do is um, put all everything on the table. Right. You know, this is I don't I don't give you an answer. Right. And I you know we I, I think if you if if you have symptoms of low T or you're concerned you have low T, then you got to dig deeper. But I wanted to set the table to say like, hey, you know, it's complicated. It is complicated. And so I think you need, uh, and my favorite kind of medicine, whether it's my medicine or someone else's uh, thought. Right. And, <laughs> all, and it boils down to what we've talked about from the beginning is that a lifestyle is a huge player. Yeah. In all of this, uh, from, from testosterone to prostate to colon, cancer, all of it. Lifestyle, our lifestyle is the trigger that pulls it all together yeah. or or push or shoots it apart yep i think yeah i think statistically what for right or wrong you know people sort of they think their doctor can fix everything but the more i practice the longer i practice the more i realize like so much of it is in your hands really some of the most important things about health are you're directly in control of and, and i'm not you know which i think ultimately is kind of good news for patients all right Exactly. Let's talk about baldness. <laughs> Bald is beautiful, but it's unhealthy. I love this chapter because what I've noticed as I age, my hair gets thinner, but it starts growing on my ears and my nose where it's not supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. So what's up with that? Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, well, so, I mean, the reason that we hair falls out is that um, the... There are some follicles on the top, generally on the top of our head, that are sensitive to testosterone. And at a, at a certain age range, they become very sensitive. And they become basically, they become inert. They don't necessarily die off, but they basically stop making hair follicles. And the hair follicles they do make are these little strandy things that are right. thin and, you know, not robust. So it's genetic. And it used to be, you know, it doesn't seem like genetically there's, one particular ball gene, or probably a, an array of ball genes. So it's, it is genetic. There is an inherited disposition, but we don't quite understand how that works. The um, you know there there are really kind of our two topical solutions. One is this thing called minoxidil, right. which is a drug that was originally looked at for blood pressure to lower your blood pressure. It was found to lower blood pressure by dilating blood vessels, and they found uh, sort of by accident that. People who were trying this drug had hair growth. So Noxidil seems to work by dilating these blood vessels that were, that were uh, you know, hair, hair cells need blood, you know. 
So it opens up these blood cells and it, it doesn't improve uh, hair growth. Uh, and then these, uh, the other solution is uh, something that blocks, blocks this. Uh, testosterone is converted to 5-HT. Right. That's the kind of, the, or, um, it's, the, it's the most active form of testosterone when it hits the tissues. And so this, this drug blocks that at the, at the hair cells and allows our hairs to grow back. So they do work. You know, if you've been if you've been bald for a long time, like I'm, I'm not. You know, this is I've been this way for a long time, and it's going to stay this way. <laughs> you know, I, I've just got a number one blade, and I'm done. And that's right. just, that, You're, that's, right. I got my hats, and I like them. Um, so the longer you, the longer and more severe that you've had, your hair loss has been, the less effective those potions will be. They still can be effective, but the less effective they'll be. And then the the tricky part of those things is that they do work, but uh, if you stop them. You know, it's essentially like a toupee falls off. So you'll go back to you'll go back to ground zero if you stop. Right. Which is why why uh, hair transplants have become uh, popular. And those literally, it's as simple as they're taking hair from the side of your scalp, which is not sensitive to DHT, dihydrotestosterone, right. and putting it here. It's really it, it, the name works. It's a hair transplant. Right. So you're taking you're thinning out some of these sections. Or in one case, one of the surgeries, they actually take a whole strip out of the back and then take the little plugs out of there and put them back to there. So it is, you know, it's effective. And because those are not sensitive, they'll, you know, they'll live a full and happy life there. But it's uh, it's quite spendy. Um, so, you know, it's, it's it, it does work. It's common, uh, but it's spendy. I heard red light therapy works, but I haven't. And now they're selling helmets with with uh, infrared light, the laser heads. The laser yeah. heads. Yeah, they, um, there's a. Uh, I forgot who the. There's a hair trans, like an American hair transplant society, who comments on, and I, I, I wrote it in the book. I can't remember, but I think they said that uh, something to the effect like it probably works, but we haven't seen enough studies. Right. You know. Um. Yeah, but they call them laser hat, a laser hat, and it's just the the the, the laser light stimulates blood flow, kind of like minoxidil does. Right. And can and I think in the same way you know as long as you wear it it works, um, but if you stop wearing it, it'll you run out of batteries. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. My doc and I were talking about this the other day because I I'm going, I'm thinning, and there's a peptide called TB500, which we use for injuries. So if you have a surgery, the peptide will help repair the surgery surgical area quicker. And uh, so he was like, well, you can use the TB500 and an insulin pin and have her have the the nurse shoot the TB500 into your scalp. So it's basically she would load the insulin pin up and walk through your scalp, injecting TB500 through your head. This is an ad lib or they actually do that? They, yeah, it actually works. Oh. So I don't know what the mechanism there is. So I haven't really dove into it because I'm so busy with other stuff. But I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pass on somebody micro or taking an insulin pin to my head all for a couple yeah. hours. Right. Yeah, you might as well might as well do the micro this right. micro tattooing, which they're right. where they just kind of right micro tattooing. I got a buddy that's got that done. It yeah. looks pretty good. You know, yeah, I think you, my understanding is that you got it, but you got to be committed to a tight haircut. Right. All the, gonna, time, all the time. All the time. All, yeah, yeah basically really you're work. just shaving, and it's just yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But now they've got the man wigs where they actually 
glue a they actually glue a wig or glue it onto your head. Yeah. So I don't know how long that lasts or what the I I, I don't know. I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna be comfortable in my own skin and go with what God gave me and move along. But well, I think the one thing we can all all be grateful for is that you know the homeowner has died. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just like because you look at my dad had one, and you kind of think like you know, were people ever fooled? Right. You know, were there people? Did anybody ever go like, I wonder is that is that his <laughs> own hair? I saw one guy. No, it's, I, I rarely see him anymore. But I saw one guy like in the hospital four or five years ago, and it's the hospital, so you're un, sort of unkempt, and it, he had one that was like between his shoulder blades and combed, combed over. And it was like, I just wanted to like, I want to say, can I take a picture of that? Because <laughs> this is a dying breed. See, you would, I would have took a picture of that ass later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I, I get in trouble. Yeah. I get in trouble with, with yeah, my bosses, yeah. but it was like, I wanted to almost compliment him. Like, this is awesome. You know, I know how long it took, you <laughs> right. know, and it was so bold, you know, because it was, it was a deep forward comb over. Just a thing of beauty. Yeah, I saw a guy the other day actually talking about comb overs, but he had like five strands of hair <laughs> on this side and he yeah. combed and that was it. I'm like, is it really worth that five strands of hair? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you just want to like as a as a as a <laughs> an act of mercy, you just want to come in and like <laughs> hey, sorry. Uh I loved your stages, the Dr. Craig scale of balding. Thin, stage <laughs> one thinning. Stage two, getting breezy. Stage three, deep denial, but I admire the effort. And stage four, completely bald to the tune of Pink Floyd's comfortably comfortably numb. I have become comfortably, comfortably bald. Yeah, I've become comfortably bald. I wish I could uh, play it solo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah, and I do, so you know, I, kind of, I, I wish I, uh, honestly, uh, you know, we all pay attention to the things we don't have. Right. You know, while noticing. So I just, I love people's hair. And my, my feeling is like, if you got it, flaunt it, right. you know, like wear it long, wear it short, color it, right. flip it, twist it, you know, cut it on the side. You know, I just like celebrate it. You know, I do, I have to kind of live through other people's hairline. So I just like, whatever you want to do, you know? Oh Hoop my goodness. Up. Yeah. And then you go to, I want to talk about, because this boils down to really where it all begins and, and, and why all these issues exist. And that was super, our supersized nation. Mm-hmm. And that's chapter 10. Because we are, we are in a huge, no pun intended, issue. we have a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's because of 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 that supersizing it in fast foods and you know and we were talking earlier about our grand my grandparents my my grandfather walked from the house to the bus took the bus down to the Detroit newspaper came home got dropped off at the bus and walked home from the bus stop mm-hmm. all his life yeah yeah I grew up a uh... Kind of in more in, in farm country, and so you know, my uncle was a farmer, and we knew a lot of farmers. One time, I gave a talk west of Western Minnesota. A guy came up afterwards, and he said, um, I, "I just got to. I'm going to send you a picture of my my family. You know, 
my, my parents and their parents. It was a family picture. These people were, I mean, the word strapping, strapping people. I mean, not an ounce of fat on these people. And they were, and it wasn't like they were Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. Right, but, right. And that's not the kind of muscle that they needed, you know. But these are lean, strapping people. And uh, the farmers you see nowadays are often the opposite of that. Now, the good news is farming has become mechanized and automated and much, much safer, you know. So these are all good things. But um, the farmers that I, I see now are not like the farmers, no. you know, uh, in the 40s and 50s and 30s. It's a different thing. And their risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease and cancer are, you know, they're, you know, they're exposed to some chemicals that maybe others aren't. But um, and certainly they're not the only people who've gotten rode this obesity wave. Um, but in my in my experience, you know, there's some of the most obvious ones. So yeah, it's a it is a crisis, and um, you know, if, unfortunately, it's kind of the shiny bright object. You know, what's on the news, and so if if the health news would always be about smoking tonight smoking diabetes you know obesity it would just be over and over again we would not hear about we'd hear it every time if you heard a health a health article it was on that but you know we get tired of it they want to do you know something more interesting that we're curing parkinson's and rats hey i hope that we cure parkinson's you know whatever right. so the things that really really uh, are making us sick are kind of right in front of our face I think we, I can't remember if it's now in, in the intro or whatever, but the question is, how are we meant to live? Who are we meant to be? What are the factory settings? And, and ob- obese is not how we were meant to live. It's kind of, uh, when you look at the, there's this, as, as I'm sure you were, this thing, metabolic syndrome. Right. And it's to try to, an explanation for why, you know, what, what does obesity do to our metabolism? And I, in the most simplistic way, I, I think of it sometimes, I spent a lot of time out in the woods, you know, as a kid, building fires. And, you know, fire, We all of us are on fire, right? We're aerobic creatures. We take oxygen and, and use oxygen to burn our burn the energy in our, in our the things we eat, you know. So we're, we're all on fire, a very slow burn. And when you're building the fire, it's got to have a, just the right amount of oxygen to burn clean, you know. And if it doesn't burn clean, if you smother it, you get a lot of smoke and the, and the flame doesn't really catch and it stinks and all this kind of stuff. And um, you can even, I, there's an article looking at the toxicology of wood smoke and you can look at wood smoke from a fireplace and how, if it's not got the right amount of oxygen, how you get all these kind of uh, harmful chemicals, you know, that you don't get when it's burning correctly. And there's something about being overweight that alters our metabolism and, 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 and makes it burn inefficiently. You know, and all of these bad things follow. Uh, and it's difficult, you know, we're doing, it's, a, it's, a, it's an epidemic. And, and sometimes, you know, like we're taking drastic measures and drastic measures, including uh, bariatric surgery, you know, drastically reducing, drastically altering, altering the, the size and, and the flow of someone's stomach. It's a big deal. That's a big, that surgery is a big deal. And that the fact that I, the fact that when you do that surgery, nobody explains to the people, or I don't know if they do or not, but I've seen so many people do the surgery and and go right back to where they were before yeah. the surgery. Yeah, but either when, way. Yep. And my, I, I remember I asked a 
There's so many. Surgeon, oh, go ahead. Well, I asked the bari- bariatric surgeon one time who who did that kind of surgery, really a very conscientious guy. And he says, I said, I asked him, I said, well, rather than taking the person to surgery and giving them a stomach the size of a coin purse, why don't you give them a, a coin purse and say, like, you could fill that with food five times a day and when you're and eat it, you know, and he just, without hesitation, he just let me, he said, he looked, he said, he goes, because they'd still be hungry. You know, so, and there's lots of, lots of research to say, like, is this, this is, you're, you're taking some upfront risk to have the surgery. Is it worth it? And for a lot of people, you know, who, who do take a lot of weight off and keep it off, it, it is, you know, it is a benefit to them, but it is a drastic, but, you know, it's still a drastic thing. We're drastically altering right. uh, someone's anatomy. And we've, we've, we're designing less drastic forms of that, you know, but again, I'm kind of an all natural guy and I, you know, I, well, nothing beats the real thing. Right. And not to mention the fact that what you're doing by having that surgery, how you're destroying your gut microbiome. Right. Well, we talked a little bit that earlier. Like in, in my lifetime, in my career, what I've come to realize is everything is more complicated than we imagine. Right. Everything is more like, and the, anybody who, like, for instance, sim, tries to simplify Andrew Paws down to three sentences, you know, is right. not telling you the truth, you know. So, Everything is more complicated. Every scientific thing we look into, oop, turns out it was a little more complicated than that, you know. Um, and and the gut, when I when I started training, was always kind of like the 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 dumbest organ in the whole group. Really kind of useful, full of poop and stuff like that. And in the last ten years, like, oh my gosh, you know what an incredibly complicated, sophisticated oh, yeah. organ. It interacts so closely with our brain, of course, you know, because if if you don't eat, man, the lights go out, you know, and, and if you don't eat the right things, the lights go out. So, and it's got its own neural hormonal network. It talks to itself. It talks to the stomach. It's got, you know, it talks to the brain. So, so yeah, to me, like, hey, you know, this is a drastic thing. And we change the, the size and the, the way the stomach interacts, even, you know, even taking antacids. They do have some effect. Oh, yeah. Because we're, we're changing the natural state of our stomach, you know, quite dramatically. Do have NS has been helpful? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, again, there's no there's no something for nothing. Right. Yeah. And to, something. Yeah. yeah. To your point, the gut brain access is huge. I mean, so, not so little. Right, and it's and and you said the last ten years, but the, even the last two years, it's become a, a very hot topic. Yeah. And there's so much more that we don't know. So yeah, and I, even how does how does how does stress affect us, and if you know, and how does it affect our stomach? And it's really, it's just fascinating. It is, but, yeah. I mean, but it all boils down to what we began, like we talked about our grandparents. Yeah, they didn't have all the shit that we have today. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we don't go for walks. We don't walk to the bus stop to get on the bus to go to work. We don't eat our food from our own garden. You know, our grandparents lived a simple life, but they didn't have the stress. They had a, a radio or a TV with two or three stations, if you were lucky, you know, or a newspaper. They read. None of that happens anymore. Yeah. And they also, I think one of the things that I'm a big fan of this guy, Wendell Berry, this mm. Kentucky farmer, and one of the things he emphasizes is, you know, the importance of community. And, you know, like I, I would put community as a central and as an essential vitamin and mineral, and you know these 
our grandparents lived in community. You know, they lived in these, even in, even in Detroit, you know, you lived in a neighborhood. You lived in that hood and you knew people. Right. And they knew you, you know, and if you were a block down, screwing off, little Tommy's screwing off, right. parents are going to hear about it, you know? And so it was a place where you could be, you could know and be known, you know? And there were, you know, for better or for worse, this is my, these are my people. And there's something really critical to the health of people to be, to live in community, you know, yeah. and we don't even have that, you know, we, because we work here, we go to church here, we work out right. there, but, you know, and we don't, we don't have that. So uh. it brings me, I don't really talk a lot about it in this, in, in the book. I think I talk about it briefly, but one of the things that comes back to me again, is that there's this misunderstanding of this term average life expectancy. Right. You know, we talk about that and we say like, well, in the year 1900, the average life expectancy was 47, which is means like not a lot, of, you know, a lot of people were dead after 40, before 47. Half people would die before, at 47. And it means that there wasn't a lot of old people. And now the average life expectancy is 78. So we're doing a lot better. And this is all because of modern medicine. But the, the, the thing that people don't understand about that is when they say average life expectancy, it's average life expectancy at birth. You know, so like when a child was born in the year 1900, what, how many, what's on average, how long would they live? 47. But that, because it's at birth, that is, that number is heavily skewed by infant deaths. You know, so if a kid dies in childbirth or at year two, that heavily changes the average life expectancy for his group or by women of childbearing age. So there is data, for instance, if you look at, in the year 1900, if you lived to 65, you made it to 65, if you got through your childhood and you're a woman and got through childbirth and you made it to 65, how many more years did you have on average? How many more years did you have left? Want to guess? 10. 12. 12, okay. In the year 2008, if you made it to 65, how many do you have left? 10. 16, 17. Okay. So, like, in a, over a century, what did we really add? You know, four or five years. Okay. So, in, and in the year 1900, if you made it to 85, how many years did you have left on average? Four. Mm. 2008, if you make it to 85, how many years you got left? Two. Five. Five. We added one year for all that. So, it's... Unfortunately, that average life expectancy things, because they don't understand it's at birth, we think of there were no old people in the year 1900. Not true. <laughs> a lot of people, because they live so healthy, so lean, so active, so nutritious, no chemicals. Like There's a lot of people who lived to a very old age if they got through their childhood and if they were a woman that they got through childbearing. So it, and a lot of the, our modern medical advances basically have only basically kept our life expectancy where it was, in other words, if we weren't innovating in cardiovascular things and cancer, it would, in fact, the latest numbers show that it went down. Our life expectancy went down a couple of years and we're back to 1996 levels. That just came out like last week from huh. CDC. Interesting. So, so to me, it's back, this all just brings us back to that main point where like, you know, people overestimate the power of modern medicine and, um, the things that make us really healthy have been making us healthy for millennia. And we have to kind of reclaim them. It's not easy. Right. I'm not saying it's easy. 
But if you, it's, it's the truth. So what was your, before we go, what was your favorite chapter in the whole book? It, it's, it's funny. I wrote, I wrote it at the end, but I kind of like the mind games, the one, the best, the yeah. one about mental health. Yep. Um, and now it's going to sound self-serving. It's, it starts kind of with, starts out autobiographical. And yeah, my I, I caught that. You know, yep, I caught that. You know, um, so, but it's not because of that. It's just because I just think it's like, this is one of those things with, you know, all this macho bullshit that is really hurting men, you know, um, that you and I probably both grew up with, you know, that um, suck it up. Um, you know, men are strong, women cry, you know, um, that this ridiculous thing that like we don't have emotions or my dad lost his dad at age eight in, a, in an accident. And I asked him a couple of times, you know, three or four times through my young adult, like, so what was it like to lose your dad? And he was just like, I don't know, you know, I was eight. What do I know? Like, really? And I could see like, that's not, that is not an answer, <laughs> you know? That is not an answer. That's just covering up something, you right. know. So I and then uh, the one thing I so it's, it's partly partly it's because of that because I don't think that men talk enough about mental health. But this one thing I I realized in doing my work is that we're all our own brand of crazy, you know. And this idea that like there's there's the mentally ill and everybody else is ridiculous, you know. We don't all of, because all of us have our daily mental health struggles. You know, it doesn't mean that we're depressed. Right. I mean, you, you know, to make an official diagnosis of depression, you have to meet certain criteria and all like that. But uh, you can still have, deal with anxiety issues and not have a full-on anxiety disorder. You know, so this, there's this, this binary thing where like, you know, again, you're mentally ill or you're mentally healthy is ridiculous because we struggle, you know, all of us do. And let's just, Let's just say that that's true and get on with it because um, burying it, you know, or pretending it's not real is, it doesn't help anything. And it's just, it's, it's stupid. And we know it's stupid. And it's in some ways, it's getting people killed, right. you know? 100% agreed. Yes, it is. So I, I love that this, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of celebrity medicine. I hate it when, you know, like, so Farrah Fawcett gets anal cancer, which means now it's a real disease. You know, right. before that, it, it was, was, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever, you know, but this, this is such a bad cancer that it attacks celebrities. Right. I hate those kind of things. But I, I do like it that there are celebrities coming out and saying like, you know, hey, I deal with anxiety. You know, you know, I, I do think that I love that kind of celebrity medicine I, right. I, because I think it's, it needs to be destigmatized. Because the stigma is what makes it so powerful, more than any other illness. Right. There's almost no other illness that we kind of say, like, you know, right. you know. So I guess maybe, maybe, maybe that. Jeff. Okay. All right. Before we go, this is a question I ask all my guests, no matter what the topic is. If Dr. Craig had 30 to 45 minutes to kill or just chill out and listen to some music, what album or artist would you put on? I grew up with a combination of U2 and Bruce Coburn. Okay. And, I, you know, and actually there are a couple of lyrics, at least one lyric, um, Kick of the Darkness to a Bleeds Daylight. Mm. That's a Bruce Coburn lyric. Yeah. And they credit him with that. So Bruce Coburn is this uh, Canadian folk star sort of rock anthem 
I wouldn't call them mock anthem. I can't describe them. Um, so those are those are my two early loves. But literally, Tom, like I'm all I'm all over the joint. I just like yeah. I have this I have this earworm for um, Queens who wants to live forever. Right. The last week, I hadn't heard that song. Right. I've never heard it. Someone sent it to me. It's an earworm. Um, late the last concert I went to see was Jason Isabel hmm. and a 400 unit. Yeah. Have you heard him? Yes, I heard of him. I don't. Yeah. I haven't listened to him deeply, he's but I've heard of him. He's Americana. Actually, I quote him in the. He's got a song about anxiety, and I, right. I, I, I quoted I quote him that in chapter. Anxiety. Yeah, he's got um, he's got two or three Grammys to his name. Um, he maybe came in kind of as country, but um, has spoken very strongly about what he thinks of new country, and um, but he's doing he does like shows twice a month at the Ryman or once a month at the Ryman or okay. I think once a month they'll do a weekend shows at the Ryman and and incredibly uh, I'm not from the south so I, I I can't say that he speaks authoritatively but he writes about the southern male in a way that's incredibly sophisticated I mm. think um, I saw him uh, three weeks ago mm. so where'd you go yeah. see him at First Avenue okay in First Minnesota is kind of our version of, okay. of the, the Ryman, Ryman. Okay. You know, it's it's a it's a joint. Right. But it's funny how these excuse me, it's funny how these places get um lionized because who's been there? Right. You know, it's not the physical place because it's the physical place it's you know, I mean it's a it's right. a joint, you know, but it's who's played there. Right. Who's got their name written on the wall right. and back, you know. Um and so and it's funny how it builds because if if someone like Jason Isabel comes back and does First Avenue, then the next artist comes like Jason Elsabel. Here's last week. I'm playing on the same stage, and that young artist, they play up, right? Uh, they play up because they're jazzed. I'm playing First Avenue, you know. <laughs> so every it, it's funny how a venue can get draw the best in people right. because like I'm on the Ryman, right. you know. I'm playing the Ryman. Watch me go, and the, and it, it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. Right. It's like the Fox Theater here in Atlanta. Is it? Yeah, yeah, I heard that name. Yeah. yeah. People just want to, they want to play there. I, they want to play, play there. They, they know. And it's really history. not that special of a place, you yeah. know, but it, it, it is that, it's that chemical. Yeah. Like I played the, here, you know. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And, 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 just that, and that there are ghosts. Right. You know. Right. There's some ghosts backstage and um, we're going to play for them, you know. Right. We're playing for them. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff, and it was it was a it was uh, it was church, you know, some of that right. business show. It was church. I mean, everybody sing along. Huh. It was, and particularly post COVID, you know, when you're right at a concert and people are packed in, and everybody's singing. Right, that's a whole a new feeling. Yeah, right, that's a whole new it's feeling. Like, that's a that's a pretty good drug. Oh yeah, it is, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I appreciate it. I love your book. And uh, I hope I hope that uh, you know I hope there's many another book coming someday. I enjoyed reading it. And I, I, I have, do a show at the you and I will do a show at the Fox. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually gifted your book to like three people so far. Oh, thank you, man. That's the that is the highest compliment. I mean, it was I was like, and they're all testosterone gurus, you know. But I I was like. It's not about that. It's about the whole book. The way it's written is true. 
And he, there's no science. It's not heavy. It's funny. And it, but you tackle all the things that an aging male needs to learn about. And also, in my opinion, it would give it, even if it touches two or three people per book that you sell, it will, I mean, it could change some lives because it's a good book. And it really speaks to the heart of the matter and what we've talked about today. Well, yeah. And you know what? I didn't, didn't occur to me when I was writing it, but it has since. Like, I have a lot of friends who, who do fantasy leagues, you know? And I just want to say, like, love you, bud. But, like, there's no reason that you know that much about a fantasy football, football team. Right. And know nothing about your health. Right. I mean, that doesn't make sense, no. right? You know, I mean, literally, like, you hear them talk about the drafts and the specifics and right. who's out this week and that, you know, how they reweighted and they went, you know, like in an immense detail. And I'm not knocking it. It's fun. Right. And it's a, it's a community. Great. You know, I'm not knocking that. Right. But it's just like, you know, come on. I mean, you really, you know, you don't really know what a PSA is. Right. You know, that doesn't <laughs> really, you know. So it's, it is one of those sort of like, you know, we got to be, we're not, man. Men are not stupid. Right. I think there have been books that are trying to reach men that treat us like we're stupid, and we are not stupid. Right. You know, we're just sometimes a little bit disinterested, a little bit even maybe afraid of our own, you know, mortality, but we're not stupid. Right. So I don't, I don't, I hope I don't, I haven't written it that way. No, 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 not think, at all. But we're funny. Right. And an aging male is kind of a, if, it's kind a of funny, funny topic. Or a funny thing to look at, you know? All right, brother. Much love. Thank you. Peace out. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.